Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. We were thinking of having Vicki preach, but uh, she was too busy leading worship, so... Uh, but hey, uh, good to see all of you. I know we have lots of visitors because we have a, a, something special coming up at the end of my talk, so I'll, I'll be real fast. But uh, for all our visitors, we're really glad that you're here. And also, I want to say good morning to our, our live streamers. Hope you're, hope you're doing well. It's crazy. I was, as I was prepping this week, it hit me that uh, we have three more weeks in this series. You can see there in the meantime. And then end of this month, I'm going to be kicking off our Advent series. Ho, ho, ho. That just seems like... What? <laughs> Christmas? I thought it was, uh, yeah, I lost track somewhere along the way. But uh, we will be kicking off our Advent series end of this month. But if you were here last weekend, uh, I looked at the first half of First Thessalonians 4, where one of my points was, as Christians, we have much to learn. And I talked about how going from chapter 3 to 4, Paul was shifting gears and really going into a teaching mode. When you look at uh, chapters 4 and 5, the uh, the majority of Paul's writing is uh, really he's responding to questions that this young church had. And I'm assuming that they would have sent them back with Timothy, who had just visited uh, the, the young church. And in our passage today, we're going to be looking at one of Paul's responses to one of their questions. And, but before I, I, I look at that, I want to zoom in on something Paul says in our text today in his response that, that just uh, really got me thinking this week. So it's a little bit of a, a, little bit of a rabbit trail, but it, but it totally applies. So, so much of Paul's teaching in this letter and really in all of the letters that he writes, it's, it's reminding and reinforcing all that, uh, all that Jesus taught. And so Paul, in our text for today, he says this, uh, according to the Lord's word, we tell you. And that just jumped out at me. And, and, and here's why. It, uh, remember, this is first century and they had the Old Testament, you know, the, the first part of our Bibles, the Old Testament. They had it written on, on scrolls, which would have been stored and preserved, you know, in, in, in the temple in Jerusalem, at some of the synagogues, the Jewish churches throughout the land. But it's not like Paul carried around all these scrolls. He didn't have a copy of his own. So when he would teach, uh, which was, this was common in their culture, he would have taught the Old Testament uh, mostly from memory. This is a time in history when scripture memorization, well, memorization period would have been, uh, it's, you know, just a pretty common part of the culture. As a young Jewish boy, he would have been raised memorizing the, the scriptures, the Old Testament, very oral culture, meaning they had, they were just really good at hearing and remembering. Uh, at the time of Paul, the New Testament was not yet written. It was actually being written, which is kind of cool. But that means that Paul, Peter, the disciples, all the followers of Jesus, they would have been teaching the words, the teachings of Jesus from memory. Right? They would have, they would have you know, heard, either heard Jesus directly and, and, or they would have been taught by someone who did hear Jesus directly and then they would have shared with another and so on and so on and so on. And that just got me thinking because I thought, I don't know about you, but isn't that a little risky? I think it's a little risky because uh, I sometimes forget. Uh, I sometimes, or I know that we as people can change things, twist things, you know, sort of manipulate. And, and so I thought that's a risky way to do it. But here's, here's what really jumped out at me this week. God was very aware, is very aware 
of that. And so he uh, uh, installed the ultimate virus protection. And it's not an it, it's a he, it's the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus said back in John 14. He said, all this I have spoken while still with you. Now think about that, all this I've spoken. So like everything I've been saying, all my teachings on and on. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. He's going to remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, I don't know about you, but that is super encouraging to me. So that's super important because that means after the Gospels, you know, all these stories of Jesus, uh, as we get into the, the, re the remainder of the New Testament from Acts all the way to Revelation, that doesn't mean that suddenly the writers, it just was a free-for-all where they could go, well, you know, here's what I think. Like they weren't, like it wasn't like a free-for-all to write their opinions or their interpretations. Actually, the writers who wrote the New Testament, all these letters, they were under the control and the guidance of the Holy Spirit as they accurately, you know, wrote to remind and reinforce all the teachings of Jesus. I find that super encouraging. We can be, we can be confident with God's word. Uh, I also think it's super important because we live at a time where is truth not up for grabs? I mean, it's, it's, it seems like it's rapidly changing or at least trying to be changed. And there are a lot of opinions and interpretations around this book, around uh, the Bible. And I, again, in thinking this week, I just want to assure you as a church family and uh, that our commitment as a church, our commitment as a preaching team, as, as leaders in this church is to submit to the guidance and control of the Holy Spirit. And that as we teach that we would be anchored in God's word. So as we learn from him and uh, as we walk this journey together. So that may seem like a tangent, but for me, it's super important. Uh, so I just wanted to go there. So let's pray. That's kind of my ramp up to my talk. Let's pray. And then we're going to look at the, the balance of chapter four. So Lord, I do thank you. In fact, I, I love this about you, that you have sent your Holy Spirit to protect us from getting off course. That, you know, just what you said, Jesus, he's going to remind you of all things. He's going to teach you all the things, everything. So Lord, I, I, that gives me great confidence as a preacher because I go, would you come and teach today? Holy Spirit, you know, everyone in this room, you know, everyone online, uh, young, old, everywhere in between, would you come and teach each one of us something new about you today? We welcome you here in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, uh, before I get to, uh, to our text, let me, let me set it up this way. If you were raised in a church that leaned heavily into prophecy, uh, especially prophecy around the end times, or if you were raised in a church that had the book of Revelation all mapped out chronologically with dates and names, uh, or if you were raised in a church that encouraged the reading of, if you remember in the, the 90s, uh, that very popular fiction series, the Left Behind series, do you remember that? Uh, if you were raised in a church like that, there's a really good chance our text today will have a, a loaded meaning for you when it comes to end, end times, etc. You know, for as long as I can remember, I have had a curiosity and really a fascination uh, with, with the end times. I, I can remember as a little boy reading some of, my dad had this book by a guy named Hal Lindsey called The Late Great Planet Earth, which is quite scary as a kid. Like, what? It ended? I didn't know it ended. But uh, I remember as a kid watching, who remembers this movie? Uh, a Thief in the Night. 
Do you remember that? Where the, there was a song that said, I wish we'd all been ready. Like, and this, this was a song. It was like, there's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. I hope you like hot places. Phoenix is nothing in the summer. You know, it's sort of like, you're gonna go to hell. Amen, there we go. But it's like, that's, that's what I was raised around. And, and the imagery would have been, you would have had imagery of Christians being raptured, just shooting up to heaven, their clothes lying on the ground. Do you remember that? Or, or uh, bus drivers, pilots disappearing. Buses crashing, planes crashing, just this incredible chaos and all of this pointing, teaching about the end times, about this thing called uh, the rapture. And so let me ask, who would say that? Oh yeah, I'm familiar with all that stuff. Put your hand up high. I knew it. I knew it. Okay, that's awesome. This is fun. It'll be fun today, I think. As I've been studying up on uh, the text, I would say, having been raised like many of you with that, a lot of my understandings and beliefs regarding rapture, end time stuff has really been challenged. So that's really my goal today. I want to look at, at some of those understandings and beliefs regarding this text. But first, and this is super important, first, I just want to let the text talk to us. Right? Let's just listen to what Paul wrote in, in this passage. So it's 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. It'll be on the screens. Here's what it says. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, uh, there's the passage. And in, and in letting the, the text talk to us, my first point is simply this. Number one, what's the people's question? What's the people's question? What, like, like I said in my intro, it's fair to say that, you know, Timothy went and visited this young church, all these young Christians, and, and they obviously said, hey, we got some questions for Paul. Could you take these questions back to Paul? And, and in this section, Paul is addressing one of those questions. We don't know exactly what the question was, but I think based on, on, on what Paul says and what I read to you, I think we can pretty accurately decipher, discern uh, what it was. And so obviously the people's question was this, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? <laughs> really? Yeah, no. Wait, that's not, okay, who put that? But so the people's question was this. And so let me, let me answer that by, I'm going to paraphrase the people's question and Paul's response. So really what I just read that passage, I'm just going to read it back to you, paraphrased, and, and, and then we'll go from there. So here, here's the question. Hey, Paul, will our brothers and sisters who die before Jesus returns miss out on his return? Like, because they've died and are in the grave, are they going to miss out on the resurrection? Are they going to miss out on the new life that Jesus promised? I think that's their question. Paul responds this way. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't worry. No, don't worry. Don't grieve without hope. Yeah, we still grieve because we've had to say see you later to, to someone we love. 
But this is not the end for your loved ones. In fact, when Jesus returns, he's going to bring them all, all those believers who have died before. He's going to bring them all with him. And so we who are still alive when Jesus returns, we're going to be caught up into the clouds to be with them. And then we'll all be with Jesus forever. Now, make sure you encourage each other with these words. Okay, so that's paraphrase my own words, question, answer. And I think to fully understand the people's question, uh, it's important to consider what they understood about the second coming, about the return of Jesus. Um, uh, we said this a couple times, but this letter, the letter to the Thessalonians, was written you know, somewhere around 51 AD, uh, like within 20 years of Jesus, of his ascension back up to heaven. <clears throat> Meaning that there were people still alive, not just the disciples, who had seen Jesus. They'd actually watched Jesus ascend up into the sky. There are people still alive who heard the angels say this, Acts 1.10. They, the people, they were looking intently up into the sky as he, as Jesus was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, when I read that, you know, considering uh, those people, it's like, well, you know, if you'd been standing there that day and you'd heard those angels say that, how could you not? How could you not hear that and just assume like, all right, in my lifetime, I'm going to get what I saw go, you know, seeing Jesus go, I'm going to get to see Jesus come back. And, and, but now it's like 20 some years later and Jesus has not yet returned. And, and, and to make it even more, more challenging for them, now brothers and sisters, believers are starting to die. And it's like, oh no, oh no, Paul. Are they, are they somehow disqualified from the promises of Jesus? Uh, I, I th again, I think that's the question. And the goal of Paul's answer is to both teach and to comfort these people. So let me go through his answer again. Verse 13. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And here's something <clears throat> I think is so wonderful about God. You know, as Christians, we, we have a belief that says this, this life is just a blip compared to forever. And we, you know, we have this, this, this hope of, of heaven, etc. But God, you know, even though God has, knows that and has given us this incredible promise of eternal life, he, he still recognizes the pain this side of heaven of letting go of a loved one. I love that. And so, yeah, as Christians, we still grieve when someone dies, even though we know we're gonna see them again. But why, but why does it say that we grieve with hope? Verse 14, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And this verse really is the foundation of, of Paul's answer. It's the foundation of our hope, of our, of, our, of our faith that like, hey, follower of Jesus, because the one you're following, Jesus, because he died, because he died and came back to life as his follower, that means you are now in Christ. Right? We've been talking a lot about that, that this relationship we have, when you say yes to following Jesus, it's such a mystery, but it means like now you don't just sort of know him from a distance. It says you become part of him. You're, in, you're, part of, you're the body of Christ, which is, again, it's a mystery. But because we are now in Christ, that means his future is now our future. So even if we die, 
That's not the end for us. We will, like Jesus, we will be brought back to life. And then he, he addresses it more in 15 to 17, according to the Lord's word, all that Jesus taught. We tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Paul makes it real clear in his answer. He's like, hey, uh, we who are alive when Jesus returns, we are not gonna meet uh, uh, proceed, like he said, we're not going to meet uh, with Jesus before those who have died. In fact, what he said there is, in fact, those who have gone before, they're going to be with Jesus before, before us. So as to say, hey, don't worry. Believers who die before Jesus return, returns are not going to miss out on what he has promised. They're not going to miss out on the resurrection, eternal life. And then again, he finishes verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Therefore, encourage one another with the answer I've given to your question. Now, uh, in letting the talk, the text talk, I think what I've said so far, I think, uh, in my opinion, is, uh, is an accurate representation of what the question was and how Paul responded to these young believers. Again, it's so important to let the text talk first before we start laying our own opinions or the teachings we've heard or the teachings that we've been raised with, before we start laying all those on it, because if we're too quick to jump to those opinions and teachings, sometimes we can actually miss the, the, the meaning of the passage. Paul's purpose in this passage was not speculation about the end times. It wasn't speculation about the return of Christ, but more accurately, his purpose was to comfort the grieving Christians in Corinth. So that's my first point. Second point is this. <clears throat> now we're really going to focus in more on the rapture. Does Jesus return once or twice? Now, you know, considering my audience, uh, you know, in today's talk, talking about the rapture and end times and stuff, I'm, I can only go so deep into all this because, um, uh, you know, our time is limited. But if Seriously, if I say something that you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, or, or if I just say something that needs more uh, uh, clarifying, etc., cetera, um, please let me know and uh, uh, we can set up a time to talk. My email is andrewhudson at vcdc.com. <clears throat> but no, seriously, seriously, because I know, because what you're going to see is I have been so challenged this week and I know this will probably be challenging for some of you. So if you'd want to talk, I'd love to do that. But in reading the passage, it's clear that Paul is comforting the people. He's comforting them by reminding them of what Jesus taught about his return one day. He's going to gather all his followers and, and we're going to be with him forever. Jesus, Jesus came to earth once as a little baby, Christmas time, right? Uh, and he said that he would return again a second time, second coming to, to judge humanity and to make everything right in the world. Eden restored uh, meaning welcome to Narnia, of course. And, uh, and I alluded to this earlier, but there's this teaching. They're uh, known as uh, like the rapture, the doctrine of the rapture. It was especially made popular in the mid to late 1800s. And you can, you can uh, Google this, but through a guy, his name, a British preacher named John Nelson Darby. 
And he, very influential, talking about the, the rapture, he, was, he made many trips to the United States during that time, and he really influenced a, a popular American preacher. You probably know a guy named Dwight L. Moody, who uh, started the uh, founder of Moody Bible Institute. And if you look, you know, sort of trace through history, primarily in the United States, this teaching of the rapture was reinforced through places like Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, or maybe you had a Schofield reference Bible. Um, uh, it came out in the early 1900s. And, and then, like I said earlier, through the fictional series Left Behind, this, this, this you know, doctrine of the rapture was, was, was really encouraged and taught. Now, when you look at the Bible, you're not going to find the word rapture in the Bible. Uh, uh, but you will, the, the rapture comes from a Latin word, raptio, uh, from which we get the word rapture, which was used to translate the original Greek word harpazo, which means to seize, catch up, snatch away. You can see that's rapture language. And again, New Testament was originally written in Greek and then translated into Latin. And, and the, basic, the basic teaching of the rapture, and this is primarily from, uh, from John Darby, uh, uh, was this, and I'll, I'll read it to you because I want to make sure I get it right. Basic teaching of the rapture, that Jesus would return not once, but twice. The first time would be more in secret in order to rapture, to catch up, to snatch away the church, the Christians out of this increasingly, you know, darkening world and, and up with him back to heaven. And then God would, would release intense tribulation and punishment down on the earth and on all those who've been left behind, the non-believers, uh, for seven years. And then Jesus would return a second time to establish his full dominion on the earth. In this passage, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, besides a few others, uh, but especially this passage, is the foundational text for the doctrine of the rapture. And so as I've been studying this text, I've been reading books, I've been reading articles, listening to different preachers on both sides. Uh, like I said earlier, I've had some of my opinions some of my uh, assumptions, interpretations regarding the teaching of the rapture be very challenged this week. And so I want to present those, some of them to you uh, for, your, for your consideration. Um, first off, when I consider Darby's, again, basic definition of the, of the rapture, and then I look at the passage for today, I just have to honestly say to myself, I don't see that there. Like, like, I don't see it in the passage, and nor does Jesus say that anywhere in his Gospels. Like, yeah, Jesus talks a lot about his return. Jesus talks about how he's going to go and prepare this wonderful place for us, but I don't see any place where he says something along these lines. Like, hey, followers, don't be afraid. I'm going to get you out of here before it gets too hot, before the persecution gets too, too intense. Like, I don't see that. And so consider this. That means then that then really, if you consider the teaching of the rapture, it would only be encouraging or comforting for those lucky people who happen to be alive when Jesus returns the first time. Like, whoo, it was getting pretty crazy, but, but we're free. We're out of here. We don't have to face this storm. And think about that. <clears throat> How is that encouraging or comforting to the millions and millions of Christians who have gone through, consider the millions and millions of Christians who are going through right now incredible persecution because they're followers of Jesus. I mean, martyrdom, on and on. How, how is that encouraging them? And, and then look at the text. 
how would, if that was Paul's answer, how would that comfort the people who are grieving the loss of their loved ones? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. If that, if, you know, if, if, that, if that would have been his answer, it just, it would not have answered the question that people were asking. So that was a thought. I remember as a kid, and, and I don't know if you were this way, but I remember having a very real fear around the end times, the rapture, you know, uh, this whole final judgment. I wish we'd all been ready. How do I know if I'm ready? How do I know if I'm ready? You know, I want to be ready. But the, the Bible teaches that as Christians, we need have no fear of what's to come. It teaches that we have no fear of the end times of God's final judgment. When, if you look in the, near the end of Revelation, when all humanity, all humanity is brought before God, this final judgment where, you know, where, where we're, we're held accountable for our actions and decisions in this life. And at the time of judgment, the Bible teaches that, you know, really our eternal destination uh, will be determined based on uh, our belief, trust, whether we put our belief and trust in Jesus or whether we put our belief, our trust, our hope in ourselves or in someone else. Meaning if you've put your belief, your trust in Jesus, you don't need to be afraid of judgment. You don't have to worry about that. Why is that? Well, because the teaching of the Bible, the invitation of God, the greatness of the good news is this. Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works. You can't earn it so that no one can boast. See, the invitation of Jesus is, do you, do you want to be judged based on your performance or on his performance? Like, like you know, and, and in choosing his, that means that you have nothing to fear about the end times and about God's final judgment. Because if you're in a relationship with Jesus, that means you're in Christ. That means when the father looks at you, what does he see? He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. And so, and, and, and really, you know, here's what I realize when I say this, that I think as, especially as Western humans, we, you know, we are putting our, our trust in something for our final destination. And I think for many of us, we're putting our trust, we are putting our trust in our performance. But the invitation of Jesus is, hey, I'm not sure that's going to work for you. Because what do we learn in the Bible? For all have sinned. And no matter how great of a life you live, all fall short of the glory of God, of the standard of God. And so Jesus, his invitation is, hey, you know, instead of beating yourself up and trying to find a way to earn this thing, will you just say yes to my invitation and put your trust in me? So you have no fear. You need have no fear of, of tomorrow or, or of the future. Um, another thought that got stirred up in me this week regarding the doctrine of the rapture is, uh, if you remember the series we did on discovering God's story, uh, it doesn't seem, the, the teaching of the rapture really doesn't seem to line up with the overarching story of the Bible. And if you remember that series, Basically, you know, God made humans. One of the reasons he made us is that we would be image bearers of him to the rest of the world. And in a simple way, it's like that, that you and I, that his plan is that you and I would live our lives and be lights. The light of God would shine through us in a dark, scary world so that other people would see that and go, what have you got? I want that, right? And that people would come to know Jesus, be rescued through that. Here, here's, a, here's a picture of God's heart for the world. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, 
as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Like that's, that's the heart of God for every human being on planet earth is that they would come to know him. And then here's the crazy thing. One of the ways that he wants those people to come to know him is through us. Some of the final words of Jesus. You, you're familiar with this passage. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You know, when you look at history, you know, you look at the Bible, look at the history just of, you know, uh, of the world, etc. cetera, it, it seems like, isn't it accurate to say that God almost always has his people right in the middle of dark places? I mean, just consider that. Like to be, in order to be lights to all those people who are lost in those dark places. And when I consider the passages I read, if, if the heart of God, if the heart of God is, I don't want one person to be lost. And if the plan of God is, you know, you know, a primary part of our job description in this life is helping others find Jesus. Again, this is my sort of, my simple logic. Why would he remove those lights his people at a time when it seems the lost would need us the most. Does that make sense? Um, let, me, let me do sort of some bullet point things here and, and, and for, for your consideration, and maybe this exposes my own heart. But I wonder if the doctrine of the rapture unintentionally nurtures a hardening of our hearts towards the lost. I wonder if the doctrine of the rapture unintentionally nurtures an us and them thinking, meaning, well, they're the bad people. They're just getting what they deserve. We're the good people. We're getting our reward. I wonder if the doctrine of the rapture unintentionally nurtures less concern or sense of responsibility for the world, for the environment. Well, it's all going to burn, so who cares? I wonder if the doctrine of the rapture unintentionally nurtures more of a hunker down and protect yourself than get to work and help others mentality. Again, these are just some thoughts uh, I've had as I've sort of looked in the rapture mirror, if you will. Um, so I just put those out there for you, for you to consider. But let, here's my final point. Number three, future hope, present encouragement. You know, Paul ends off his answer to their question with the words, Hey, encourage one another with these words. And let me also answer the question from my second one. Does God, does Jesus return once or twice? Is that what I said? Yeah. Well, I believe he returns once. And this has been a very challenging week. Or really, it's been a challenging month as I've been reading all this stuff. I believe he returns once, you know, uh, uh, based on the text, based on what we see throughout the scriptures. Now, okay, whatever you believe about this passage, about the end times, about the rapture, uh, the plan of God is that this future hope of his return would be for us a present encouragement. 
not a distraction, not a divider, but an encouragement as we struggle in this life to follow Jesus, to love him and obey him, to love one another, to, to love our neighbors, to love our enemies. Uh, as we live this life, experiencing opposition, disappointments, that we would be a people. And I think this is one of the ways we shine, that we would be a people that stop. We're in the, we're in the middle of a storm and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What I'm going through right now, this, this isn't it for me. Like, this is hard right now, but this isn't it for me. In fact, it's like, take a breath. It's like, in fact, what I am going through right now, no matter how difficult it may be, one, I'm not alone. He's with me. Two, it's temporary at best. And three, I have the most wonderful future awaiting me. I, I really believe that that, uh, that really is, is, is that future hope, present encouragement that God has given us. And one of the themes of the Bible is we see this over and over is God God almost always does not rescue his people out of hard places. Like sometimes he does, but more often than not, it's, it's more his, his what, he, what he's trying to accomplish in those hard places is helping that person, helping us become aware of his presence with them in that hard place. And I, I've told God many times, he's not taking my advice, but I've told him many times that he does not market himself very well. If uh, he, you know, if he really is all powerful and can fix everything like that, why doesn't he just do it? Because it doesn't look like uh, it doesn't look like he's doing it. And so, uh, you know, considering that, and then even in the letter Paul wrote to these persecuted Christians, Paul doesn't write to them saying, "Hey, let me. This is how you build a bunker, or this is how you escape this hard time." It's like, no. Let me tell you how you discover Jesus, how you stay close to Jesus in this hard time. Here's the example of Jesus, Hebrews 12:1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, our future hope of heaven, when Jesus returns, that is the joy. That's the joy set that has been set before us. So let me end with a story. We can have the worship team come on back. Uh, last week, I had the privilege of, of sitting down with some people who had recently uh, lost a mutual friend. And I went there as a pastor just to, you know, just to uh, pray with them and be with them. And at one point, one of them said, um, I just wish I knew why she had to die. And we all s smiled at each other because there's the, there's the, what do you call it, you know, the $50,000 question of why. And, and I, you know, and I said, you know, I don't think, she sort of got a little sheepish after she said it. And I said, you know, no, no, wait a minute. I don't think you would, you would have to deny your humanity if you didn't ask why. Because let's be honest, there is so much. As followers of Jesus, there's so much in this life that doesn't make sense. And especially the, the, the loss of a, of a loved one. And, and so, you know, so I think it's very human to ask why. And I, I told them, you know, as a pastor who gets asked that question pretty frequently, I'm really careful what I say in response to that question because one, I'm following God's lead because he rarely answers the question why in the Bible. Often in the Bible, it's like, why? Why, Jesus? And basically his response is, well, I'm not gonna tell you why. You just follow me, 
Oh, well, that helps. <laughs> or it's like, I'm not going to tell you why. You just need to trust me. Huh. I'm not going to tell you why. It needs to be enough that I am with you in that moment. And so I, I wasn't going to try to answer the question, but I did say this to them. I shared a, a more personal story. When I, uh, my little sister back in 2006, her name's Susan, she uh, passed away. She was 37. And, uh, and I remember talking to her on the phone when it was pretty clear that um, she was going to die if God didn't intervene. And I'm, I asked her on the phone, I said, hey, hey, are you angry with God? Like, are you angry because you've got this illness? Are you angry because your life, your life's getting cut short? And, and I know, I, I definitely knew my sister, and I know that she, she certainly had her moments with God where there would have been anger. But that day she said this to me when I asked her that question. She said, you know, if it wasn't for this illness, I wouldn't know God the way I do. And that was so like, that just came out of left field. All like, and I don't have time to go into just the, how ugly the disease was. And for her to say, you know, if it wasn't for this hard place, I wouldn't have got in touch with his eternal presence the way that I have. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have got a taste of what is to come the way I have if, if it hadn't been for this, this, hard, this hard road. <laughs> you know, and I wish, I wish there was an easier way, but this side of heaven, this side of heaven, the way that we, I'm convinced, the way we discover the goodness the love, the faithfulness of God, it's not by escaping the hard places. It's, it's by walking through those hard places with him and learning to discover his presence there. <clears throat> so why don't we stand up? We're going to go back into worship. And, uh, and I know as I look out, as I see tissues coming to eyes and noses, that some of you are in really hard places. And, and what you need today is that God would remind you, you're not alone. I'm with you. Can I show you something more of myself in this hard place? And so I just encourage you, whether it's through the worship or at the end of the service when we pray, I just encourage you to be open to God's, God's loving presence. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.